What's up, guys? This is Jason, host of Zion ID. Uh, today we're talking about the science of prayer. Uh, this topic came up yesterday. I got a phone call from a good friend, Nick Zerker. Nick was talking to me all about the podcast, how much he's enjoying it. We were talking about atonement ecosystem, um, you know, the sustainability of life, the light of Christ, energy flow, all things like that. And Nick just kind of commented that he loves uh, when you can affix scientific you know, knowledge with religious truth um, because it increases faith. So let's take it to another level today. We know we're all living, we're immersed in the light of Christ that fills the immensity of space. And within that ecosystem, we are given the commandment to pray. So um, the, the problem with prayer, I think, is that a lot of people don't pray. And in fact, in the scriptures, it says as much. In uh, 2 Nephi 32, 8 and 9, it says that, For if you would hearken unto the Spirit, which teacheth a man to pray, ye would know that ye must pray. For it's the evil spirit that teacheth not a man to pray, but teacheth him that he must not pray. But behold, I say unto you that ye must pray always, and do not faint, that ye must not perform anything unto the Lord, save in the first place ye shall pray unto the Father in the name of Christ, that he will consecrate thy performance unto thee, that thy performance may be for the welfare of thy soul. So we're here in life. Life is a test. We have a physical separation between us and our Father in heaven. Uh, that's designed as an opportunity for us to develop faith. And Abraham 3.25 says of the purpose of life, and we will prove them herewith to see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them. So we're commanded to pray always, and yet the evil spirit teacheth the man not to pray. Well, let me paint a little picture for you, and maybe you can relate you're in a room by yourself, you kneel down to pray, uh, you say the words, you don't hear anything back, you don't feel anything back, and you repeat this process time and time again, hundreds of times, it starts to get old, and so maybe you stop praying if you feel like you're not getting answers to your prayers. Um, one You know, there's there's a lot of different ways we communicate in life. And probably the most common illustration of what prayer is like, people use the example of a phone. You know, you speak into the phone, someone speaks back to you on the other end, and that's how prayer works. Well, it's not exactly true. And so if you think of it that way, um, maybe you're not going to continue to pray. So let's talk about the, the actual science of prayer and what it is that we are supposed to be doing. So I'm going to start with a quote from my favorite physicist, Mario Ravelli. I would encourage you to read all of Ravelli's books. But here's what he says. He says, We are an integral part of the world. We are not external observers. We are situated within it. Our physical bodies are made up of the same atoms and the same light signals that are exchanged between pine trees in the mountains and stars in the galaxies. We have a hundred billion neurons in our brains, as many as there are stars in a galaxy. 
with an even more astronomical number of links and potential combinations through which they can interact. The word I is a self-representation to the world of these subconscious interactions. It is I who is endowed with the gift of agency. Boy, what a loaded quote. So when he talks about, you know, that the makeup of our physical and spiritual bodies um, constitute the same atoms and the same light signals that are in pine trees or in the stars and the galaxies. He's talking about, you know, the same stuff you learned in elementary school science. He's talking about protons. He's talking about neutrons and electrons. And these are the particles that make up our DNA. They make up who we are. Well, each of these particles emit waves, okay? They're spiritual waves that operate on various levels of vibration, ranging from most pure to least pure. So a pure wave shares heat, which is just the speed of electrons you know, running into each other. And these waves that come from our particles are what we radiate. So therefore, one's radiation can influence others. Human thought and desire can create virtuous waves, which help to organize the particles within the human body. That's where the science comes in. Um, the act of prayer and fasting actually has a physical effect on our cellular structure. Let me share with you a few science experiments um, to illustrate this idea further. So the first one is called, and, and I got these, I, there's a great book, man. The author's name is uh, Greg Braden. He wrote a book called The Divine Matrix. And he, that's where I got these, uh, these scientific results from. So the first one's called The Effect of Emotion on Your DNA. So scientists in the U.S. Army wanted to investigate whether or not the power of our feelings can, can affect our own living cells, specifically DNA, um, even once those cells are no longer part of our body. So the, research started by, the researchers started by collecting a swab of tissue and DNA from inside a volunteer's mouth. The sample was isolated and taken into another room in the same building where the DNA was measured electrically to see if it responded to the emotions of the person that it came from. The subject was shown a series of video images designed to create genuine states of emotion. So the, the video images ranged from like graphic wartime footage um, to comedy. They even had some erotic material just, you know, to see what was going to happen. Well, when the donor experienced emotional peaks and dips, the DNA that was still part of his body and also the DNA that was separated from his body showed a powerful electric response at the exact same instant in time. So although distances measured in hundreds of feet separated the donor and the samples, the DNA acted as if it was still physically connected to his body. Such tests continued, and it was observed by an atomic clock that at distances as great as 350 miles, the emotional charge seen in the DNA happened simultaneous of the donor stimulus. Human emotions actually changed the actual shape 
of the DNA. So this experiment uh, that was conducted by the U.S. Army revealed that different intentions produce different effects in the DNA molecule, causing it to either wind or unwind. So the DNA either tightened or untightened. We've been conditioned to believe that the state of DNA in our body is a constant, that it's a given. But this experiment shows us that nothing could be further from the truth. So if you think about that in terms of prayer, different thoughts and different emotions that you are emitting will either tighten or untighten your DNA, which a changing of the particles changes the waves, which is what you emit in the form of radiation. So that's experiment number one. Experiment number two was performed by two scientists uh, named Paponin and Garyev. So what they did is they removed all the air from a test tube so that the only thing remaining inside were photons of light. Using ex uh, equipment that could detect these light particles, the scientists measured the precise location of these photons within the tube. They found that the photons were distributed in a way that was completely unordered Okay, inside this tube. Particles were everywhere, which is what they expected to happen. Well, in the next part of the experiment, samples of human DNA were placed inside the closed tube with the light photons. Here's what happened. When these light photons were in the presence of DNA, the particles did something that no one anticipated. Rather than the scattered pattern that the team had seen before, the particles of light arranged themselves differently in the presence of living material. The DNA was shaping them into regular patterns through an invisible force. So DNA, which is the very substance that composes us, was observed and documented to have a direct effect on the quantum particles that our world is made of. The final surprise of the experiment happened when these researchers removed the DNA and the photons remained in an ordered state as if the DNA was still in the tube. All right, so not only do our thoughts and emotions impact our own particles, they can also impact particles that are outside of us. Here's a scripture from Alma 37.6. It says, Now ye may suppose that this is foolishness in me, but behold, I say unto you that by small and simple things are great things brought to pass. And small means in many instances doth confound the wise. So let's take this to the next step. Another real life application. You've got crime scenes. Well, investigators can find any piece of a person's body from a splatter of blood to a broken strand of hair, even a, a fingernail that can identify that individual because all parts of our body mirror the whole. It's estimated that the average human has between 50 and 100 trillion cells in his or her body. Each of those cells holds 23 pairs of chromosomes that contain and make up our DNA. Humans carry somewhere between 2,300 trillion and 4,600 trillion copies of DNA in their bodies. 
So imagine how long it might take to make a change in someone's DNA if we, had, if we attempted to update each copy one cell at a time. Well, it doesn't happen that way. DNA operates according to a holographic principle of creation. So holograms weren't even discovered until the late uh, 1940s. And, you know, generally you think of a hologram as something from like Star Wars. It's a special kind of photograph where the image on the surface suddenly becomes three-dimensional when it's ex exposed to direct light. Um, well, the way they create a hologram is you digitally distribute the entire image on a smaller scale over the entire surface of the film. So every single part of the surface contains the entire image just as it was originally seen, only on a smaller scale. In other words, each fragment is its own hologram. So when something is holographic, it exists wholly within every fragment of itself. And this is the same principle by which God created man. Okay, so through the holographic principle, DNA that's altered by emotion is reflected throughout the whole body. So this subtle power allows us the leverage to make a tremendous change on a very large scale by altering a pattern in only one place. Again, go back to Alma 37.6, by small and simple things are great things brought to pass. Um, scientific experiment number three. Instantaneous communication is faster than the speed of light. So these, again, let's talk about these light particles, these photons. They divided them into um, two identical. So, and each identical, identical photon was shot out of a particle gun in opposite directions. When the twin photons were 14 miles apart, they were each put through a maze that caused them to make decisions on which direction they would travel. Well, the second photon, 14 miles apart, always made the same choice as the first, as if they knew exactly what their twin was doing. The two particles acted as if they were still connected, even though they weren't. Well, conventional wisdom suggests that for this kind of connection to happen, the photons are somehow sending signals to one another. But the problem is, this communication would have to be moving faster than the speed of light. According to Einstein's theory of relativity, nothing can travel that quickly. So the results of this experiment and many others like it confirm that we live in a universe or an atomic ecosystem where information between cells doesn't need to be transported in order to be received. So think about that when it comes to prayer. You know, you're not praying and having those vocal you know, vibrations somehow move their way to heaven. Um, Russell Targ, co-founder of the Stanford Research Institute, describes the connection. He says, we live in a non-local world where things physically separated from one another can nonetheless be in instantaneous communication. It's not that I close my eyes and send a message to a person a thousand miles away but rather, in some sense, there is no separation between my consciousness and his consciousness. So each individual is linked um, 
to the atomic ecosystem based on our atomic structure of DNA. So this explains how new ideas can sprout up in different geographical locations at the same time. This is why two people generally pick up the phone to call each other at the same time and why other telepathic events happen. This connectedness is what gives us direct access to God. Our own DNA sends and receives communication to and from God through his light. So thoughts, desires, words, and actions determine the kinds of messages that we are sending into the immensity of space. Jesus declared in DNC 93 verse 2 through 5, I am the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And I am in the Father, and the Father in me, and the Father and I are one. The Father, because he gave me of his fullness, and the Son, because I was in the world and made flesh my tabernacle, and dwelt among the sons of men. I was in the world and received of my Father, and the works of him were plainly manifest. How can two separate beings be one? Well, this is how. I give unto you these sayings that ye may understand and know how to worship and know what you worship, um, that ye may come unto the Father in my name and in due time receive of his fullness. For if you keep my commandments, you shall receive of his fullness and be glorified in me as I am in the Father. Therefore, I say unto you, you shall receive grace for grace. That's DNC 93, 19 through 20. Back to prayer. So now that we understand the science, um, now that we understand that we are supposed to be, that we are supposed to act and not be acted upon within the atonement ecosystem, let's um, consider the example of Jesus. Bruce R. McConkie explains. I'm going to give a long quote, but it's worth it. He says, The greatest member of Adam's race, the one whose every thought and word were perfect, pled with his father to come off triumphant in the most torturous ordeal ever imposed on man or God. There amid the olive trees, in the spirit of pure worship and perfect prayer, Mary's son, Jesus, struggled under the most crushing burden ever borne by mortal man. There, in the quiet of the Judean night, while Peter, James, and John slept, with prayer on his lips, God's own son took upon himself the sins of all men on conditions of repentance. Upon his suffering servant, the great Elohim, there and then placed the weight of all the sins of all men of all ages who believe in Christ and seek his face. And the son who bore the image of the father pled with his divine progenitor for power to fulfill the chief purpose for which he had come to earth. This was the hour when all eternity hung in the balance. So great was the sin-created agony laid on him um, who knew no sin that he sweat great drops of blood from every pore and wood within himself that he might not drink the bitter cup. Here in Gethsemane, as a pattern for all suffering, burdened, agonizing men, he poured out his soul to his father with pleadings never equaled. What petitions he made, what expressions of doctrine he uttered, 
what words of glory and adoration um, he then spoke, we do not know. Perhaps, like his coming prayer among the Nephites, the words could not be written, but could be understood only by the power of the Spirit. We do know that on three separate occasions in his prayer, he said, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cap, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. That's in Matthew twenty-six thirty-nine. Here in Gethsemane, as he said to his Father, Not my will, but thine be done, the inspired record says, There appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now here is a marvelous thing. Note it well. The Son of God prayed more earnestly. He who did all things well, whose every word was right, whose every emphasis was proper, he to whom the Father gave his spirit without measure, he who was the only perfect being ever to walk the dusty paths of planet Earth, the Son of God prayed more earnestly, teaching us, his brethren, that all prayers, his included, are not alike, and that a greater need calls forth more earnest and faith-filled pleadings before the throne of him to whom the prayers of the saints are a sweet savor. In this setting, then, seeking to learn and live the law of prayer so that we, like him, can go where he and his Father are, let us summarize what is truly involved in the glorious privilege of approaching the throne of grace. Let us learn how to do so boldly, not only in word, only, not only in word, but in spirit and in power, so that we may pull down upon ourselves, even as he did upon himself, the very powers of heaven through prayer. As an obedient son whose sole desire was to do the will of the Father who sent him, our Lord prayed always and often during his mortal probation. By natural inheritance, because God was his father, Jesus was endowed with great powers of intellect. He was endowed with spiritual insight more than anyone else had ever possessed. But in spite of his superlative natural powers and endowments, or shall we not rather say because of them, okay? For truly the more spiritually perfected and intellectually gifted a person is, the more he recognizes his place in the infinite scheme of things and knows thereby his need for help and guidance from him who truly is infinite. So by virtue of Jesus's superlative powers and endowments, Jesus above all men felt the need for constant communion with the source of all power, all intelligence, and all goodness. When the time came to choose the 12 special witnesses, who should bear record of him and his law unto the ends of the earth, and who should sit with him on 12 thrones judging the whole house of Israel. How did Jesus make the choice? Well, in Luke chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, it says, He went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Having thus come to know the mind and will of him whose offspring he was, when it was day, Jesus chose 12, whom he also named apostles.
Um, finally, Bruce R. McConkie says, after his resurrection, note it well, after his resurrection, he was still praying to the Father. When he, glorified and perfected, sought to give the Nephites the most transcendent spiritual experience they were able to bear, he did it not in a sermon, but in a prayer. The things which he prayed cannot be written, the record says, but those who heard bore this testimony. The eye hath never seen, neither hath the ear heard before so great and marvelous things as we saw and heard Jesus speak unto the Father. And no tongue can speak, neither can there be written by any man, neither can the hearts of men conceive so great and marvelous things as we both saw and heard Jesus speak. And no one can conceive of the joy which filled our souls at the time we heard him pray for us unto the Father. That's in 3 Nephi chapter 17, verse 15 through 17. So, in conclusion, we are created with DNA, with particles of protons, neutrons, and electrons. And our thoughts and desires can create different waves, uh, different organizations within our human body. So the objective is to refine our cellular structures through processes of repentance so that that sinful filth does not cause our spiritual waves to operate at a lesser level of purity. DNC 121.45 says, let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly. Then shall thy confidence wax strong in the presence of God, religiously and scientifically. The act of prayer has a major effect on our cellular structures. It's similar to the process of fine-tuning an instrument. Focused desire of the mind alters one's DNA, which can then exert influence in the atonement ecosystem. Matthew 17, 19 through 21 says, Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could we not cast out that devil? Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, then shall ye say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth, out, um, goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. So through the light of Christ, God's waves immerse us always. The purer the vessel, the better the reception. DNC 131, 7 and 8 says, There is no such thing as immaterial matter. All spirit is matter, but it is more fine or pure and can only be discerned by pure eyes. We cannot see it, but when our bodies are purified, we shall see that it is all matter. So faith, okay, produces wavelets of righteousness that can heal bondage, that can heal oppression, that can order the disordered, that can cure sickness, and that can fix corruption. As doubt is replaced by faith among God's offspring, 
miracles will become commonplace among the people of Zion, just as they were among the people of Jesus. Mark 16, 17, 18 says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay their hands on the sick, and they shall recover. 2 Nephi chapter 2, verses 14 and 26. And now, my sons, I speak unto you these things for your profit and learning. For there is a God, and he hath created all things, both the heavens and the earth, and all things that in them are, both things to act and things to be acted upon. And the Messiah came in the fullness of time, that he may redeem the children of men from the fall. And because that they are redeemed from the fall, they have become free forever, knowing good from evil, to act for themselves and not be acted upon. So how is it, how exactly do we avoid being acted upon? Well, it comes by choice. God is God because he subjects all things unto himself. We are given the same promise. DNC 50, 26 and 27 says, He that is ordained of God and sent forth, the same is appointed to be the greatest. Notwithstanding, he is the least and the servant of all. Wherefore, he is possessor of all things. For all things are subject unto him, both in heaven and on the earth. The life and the light, the spirit and the power sent forth by the will of the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son. We are all wired to participate in creation. There's power within us to alter our environment in ways that can heal, in ways that can create peace and sustain order. It's a universal language that exists and connects us to the implicate order of God's creation. <laughs>